Thanks, guys. Ah, I'm excited. All right. Uh, if we can get the timer going, if anyone knows how to do that, I'm going to need that. Um, awesome. I'm going to go ahead and open us with prayer. Um, so, dearly Father, God, we just thank you so much for tonight, Lord. I thank you for each and every individual that's come here tonight, Lord. I really do believe you drew them here intentionally. I really believe that with all my heart, God. So we pray that tonight you just open our hearts, God, open our eyes, open our ears to hear from you tonight. Um, I ask that you just are in my words tonight. And uh, yeah, God, we pray that you just turn our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is exciting. There's so many people I haven't met yet. This is very cool. Uh, well, my name's Dominic. Um, cool. So just to start out, I really, uh, for me, I, I need to tell a story. I have to do stories. That's the thing that focuses me. Like, God, God, God speaks to me a lot through stories. It kind of is just how it happens. Um, and I was praying this week um, when I found out I was going to speak, like, God, what do you want me to say? Um, and I felt like he gave me this very specific message to talk about. And I asked him as, like, a like afterthought, like, hey, God, is there a story I can tell with that? Is there something in my own life that you, you just can breathe on to just bring it home for me? And uh, what he did was something I just, I haven't thought about this in years. Um, but it basically was a story when I was in junior high, right? Um, and you guys, you guys know Taylor back there in the back? Um, he was also there. Um, we were in junior high, so this is like circa, what, 2003, 2004 era? Um, yeah, give or take a year. Um, and so this was a time in my life and in most of our lives um, where we didn't think with our heads yet, you know? And we didn't even think with our hearts yet. We only thought with our stomachs. That's just how it works. When you're a junior high boy, like that is, that is it. That my life began and end with just what I can shovel into my stomach throughout the day. That was it for me. Um, and so we basically had this friend who we had a birthday, right? And he invited like 12 of our closest men friends. And he's just like four, we're like, what do you want to do for your birthday, man? He was an avid paintballer. It's like, oh, we're gonna go paintballing. He's like, no, we're not gonna go paintballing. He was an avid video gamer. All right, we're going to go to an arcade or just play an Xbox or something. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're like, what are you doing for your birthday, man? And he's just like, we're going to go to Hometown Buffet. Yes. Yes. I know you guys might be thinking immediately of indigestion, but I was young. I didn't know that yet. You know, I had no idea. I had never been to Hometown Buffet. My family was always a soup plantation family, and that was on special, special occasions. Um, so I had no idea what I was in for. I had absolutely no idea. Um, and so we go there, right? And I'm thinking we're going to be there for like an hour maximum, you know? It's a buffet. Um, but the guy whose birthday it was, he says, I want you to spend the day with me, guys. And it was like, well, great. We don't have cars. Our parents dropped us off. We're here all day. What are we doing after hometown buffet? And he looks at us and he says, there is no after hometown buffet. And we were just like, what are you talking about? And he's just like, he's like, this is the day. This is my birthday. This is what we're doing. And I was just like, how long are you thinking, man? He's like, I'm thinking at least six hours. And we're all like, we've never eaten for six hours before until today, you know. Um, so basically, we just started eating, you know. We just started eating whatever we could find. And it wasn't like soup plantation where it's like, here's a little piece of bread that looks kind of like pizza and some soup. It was like, here are some ribs. Here is some fried chicken. Here is some salad, which I didn't really touch in junior high or now. And then there was like, here are all these other food groups, right? They had, they had everything under the sun, everything at Hometown Buffet. Um, and again, I, I had no idea what to expect. I had no idea, but I was so excited. I was so eager. I was like, Wow. This is it. This is going to be great. And, you know, the whole boys will be boys adage really, really get this true. You know, like you get into these little clusters and it's just like, 
what's the most epic manly thing we can do? And it's just like, we got to eat the most, you know? We got to eat the hardest, the fastest, and the longest. We got to just eat like it's, like tomorrow we die, like we eat today. Um, and so we started, and we started hard. I, I started myself with about 10 chicken tenders, and I just drizzled ice cream on top of it, just because... Because why not, you know? It goes to the same place. I was just like, why stinking not, you know? Um, and that's how it started. That was hour one, you know? By hour six, it was like I was getting slurpy, like just fed into my mouth and trying not to throw up. Um, but, yeah, basically we were there, and it was like it was all we wanted. It was all we wanted. And, I look, and when I got full, because my stomach was not even that big at the time, I look around, and I was just like, like, Guys, I'm, like, not really hungry anymore. And it's like, no, this is the best thing in the world. you got to keep eating. And, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I want to keep eating. Yeah, that's it. And then, like, it was just we kept, like, rallying for each other. Like, we can do this. Hour five. We only have one hour. we got to just keep going. Um, and it was just everything we wanted. It was, it got to the point where, like, in our little junior high brains, there was nothing outside of Hometown Buffet. That was it. It was our brothers. It was, like, the band of brothers, the food on our tables, and that was it. That was life. It was like, that was everything. Um, and dang it, we did it, you know. <laughs> After two and a half hours, we had waiters coming over being like, are you ready yet? You know, there's a cap for how long you can be here. We're like, yeah, okay. And then so we all huddled in a bathroom stall together for 20 minutes, waited for the lunch rush, came back out, sat at a different table. Then, you know, they're starting to get ready for dinner, and they're like, hey, don't you guys look familiar? Back in the bathroom stall, all of us. Another 20 minutes. They're like, you know what? They're on to us. Let's split tables. We split into two groups, you know? So we tried to circumvent that system because, look, their banner said all you can eat. And we weren't done. And so that was it. That was it, right? And so what happened at the end? I realized that Hometown Buffet had every food, had everything I could ever want. It had everything except for an antacid and a time machine. That's the only thing. And so we finished. We finished it, right? And we, like, waddle out to the curb of Hometown Buffet. I just, like, sit there, and we, we're all just, uh, we're just glazed over. We're even kind of glazed, like, in general. Yeah, we got all meat sweaty. It was gross. Yeah, you don't eat for six straight hours and not work up a mean meat sweat. Let me tell you that. We had one guy that didn't even eat meat. He still had it. He had that glossy film on him. I don't know. You don't eat for six hours and not have that. I'm just letting you know. So I'm sitting there, and the only thing I'm filled with, besides about three pounds of food, is just bloating and regret. That's all I have. <laughs> that is all I have. And we're looking there. One of our friends got sick, and it was just like, why did we do this? Why did we think this was a good idea? We were literally at the curb waiting for our like parents to pick us up. Because, again, junior high, I didn't have our licenses. Of course, for me, I didn't have one until college, but that's another thing. So we were just there on the curb, and the whole time we're like, why, why did we do this? every single person. There wasn't a single person left that was like, this was a great idea. It was everyone turned on the birthday boy and said, what have you done to us? Why have you done this to us? What? Why? why? <laughs> I didn't go to Hometown Buffet for a couple of years after that. Um, but yeah, it was basically, we got to the end and all of this stuff we wanted, it just, it didn't matter. <laughs> if anything, it just made us feel sick. It was just like empty. Why did we do this? <laughs> Nothing left but regret. Um, and this is the story God took me to this week for this. Um, the title of our message tonight is Don't Waste Your Life. Yeah. I'm sorry if that comes off strong, but not really because it's supposed to. <laughs> I just felt like the word was just don't waste your life. <laughs> 
Don't waste your life. And so tonight, we're going to look at the life of Solomon. Um, I felt like God was pointing in that direction, and that's where we're going. Um, a little background on Solomon, if you guys don't know. He's the third king of Israel. <laughs> he came after his father, David. He was sort of born, sort of situation with like a spoon in his mouth. A son of a king, you know. <laughs> he was chosen. He was the one, you know. He got the throne at a really young age. Um, and so I want to start reading in 1 Kings 3, verses 5 through 14. So buckle up. <laughs> This is just kind of a chapter in that early period. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you for all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. This is a story about this man. When he first takes the throne, he has this dream, this vision from the Lord where he's talking to God. God says, ask, and I'll give it to you. Just ask, what do you want? And he says, I just want to be able to do what you've given me well. <laughs> I just want to have a discerning heart, the wisdom, so I can actually do this job, so I can be your king here for these people. And God was so pleased. He just said, here's this, here's this also. You get the riches. You get the honor. You get the influence. You get it all because you had such a great answer and it pleased me. I just love that in this passage, you see Solomon early on. He acknowledges God as my God. <laughs> it is his God. It was his father's God, but it's his God and he honors him. <laughs> and God blesses him like he's blessed no other person. He gave him a kind of wisdom that he said before and after you, no one will have it quite like you do. <laughs> it's a big deal. And in many ways, the kingdom of Israel flourished under his, his authority like no other kingdom, like no other person in the history of Israel, at least, had ever done. He expanded the borders. <laughs> he had so much influence, so much renown, so much riches, you know. I love that early on, out of his heart, too, uh, David actually wanted to build God a temple. Before this point, God was just always moved around in these, like, tents, you know, in the tabernacle and all that. And David had it in his heart. He said, God, I want you to have a place here, a permanent place, like your own house here. And God said, I don't want you to do that because you're a man of war. I'm going to let your son do that. And so I love that one of the early things that Solomon does is he gets to build the first temple that the Lord ever has, the first physical building. I love that he establishes this place of worship for God. That was Solomon's heart to establish that in his nation. <laughs> what happens with Solomon is that his heart eventually just turns away from the Lord. <laughs> and so this one's out of 1 Kings 11, 
verses 1 through 8. You know, he made it about eight chapters, which is more than most. <laughs> it said, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, lowercase g. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, lowercase g. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, uppercase g, as was with the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods, lowercase g. This is rough. <laughs> this is hard stuff. This is a man that he started so well. <laughs> he had the silver spoon in his mouth, and then God equipped him with even more. God equipped him with this discerning mind, the riches, the power, the thing that people honored him. He had it all. <laughs> but then he started to turn away. <laughs> and for him, the thing that took him down was all of these different women when God said, hey, don't go after the foreign women because they'll turn your heart away. Granted, it took a thousand to do so, so I give him some props, but still, really, really bad. <laughs> really, really bad. And what breaks my heart when I was reading it this week is I never really noticed before that not only did he turn their hearts away so that he worshipped at these places of the other gods, but he actually built centers of worship for these other gods. And that breaks my heart because he was the one that built the temple that our God had, the real God, the one true God. But that's how far his heart turned away. It's just like, yeah, I guess I can build temples to just anyone. <laughs> I guess I could worship just anyone. It breaks my heart that God has such clear instructions. Don't go with them because they'll turn your heart away. <laughs> and he goes after them and his, it says his heart is turned away. It breaks my heart too because earlier in his life, this is the same guy who wrote Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. The book is all about the beauty of monogamy, all about God's love and his relationship with his people. This came out of Solomon's heart when the Spirit came through that. This is the same guy that wrote that. And it's the same guy who married 700 women and then had 300 concubines and was just all over the place. It says his heart was not wholly after God like his father David was. It was divided. It was split amongst all these other gods, all these other wives, all these other things that took that God spot, that took that place. My first point is actually a question because I hear that phrase that just, it turned his heart away. And it breaks, it breaks my heart because I think that there are still ways that we can have our hearts turn away. Sometimes it's the same thing that took out Solomon, which is just significant others. <laughs> it's relationship. Sometimes it is that power. Sometimes it is that influence. Sometimes it's that money. Sometimes it's that fill in the blank. <laughs> My first question is, where is your heart? <laughs> where do we put our hearts? <laughs> where are they at? I hope that that's a question we can just ask ourselves throughout the night, that we can just pray about. It's just, God, where is my heart? 
Sometimes when our hearts are turned away from God, it doesn't mean they're 180 the opposite direction. Sometimes it's just a couple degrees off. And the problem is, and why this, I titled this Don't Waste Your Life, is that if, you, if you're on a journey somewhere, like imagine you're flying somewhere, right? You have a navigation, let's say I'm going here to New York, right? <laughs> the course is set, we stay on the path, we land in New York. We New York, <laughs> God willing. We start our journey and our bearing gets off by a couple degrees. What happens? Well, in the short term, not much. <laughs> the next minute, maybe we're a couple feet off. But by the end of our journey, we're in Florida. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're not where we're supposed to be. And that's why when I think about where is my heart, where are your hearts, is that they don't have to be something crazy, like debauched somewhere in a hole, really gnarly somewhere. They can just be a couple degrees off. <laughs> you know? There was a point when Solomon just had one wife. You know what I mean? I don't think he went from zero to a thousand overnight, you know? And that's how it goes with us a lot of the times, too. We don't go zero to straight into bad places overnight sometimes. Um, sometimes. <laughs> some of us are, <laughs> some of us just go hard. Um, anyway. Well, Lord. <laughs> so anyway, we have Solomon, like, again, in his youth, his heart, this is my God. In his youth, this is the song of Solomon. This is what my God shows me. This is everything that's important. He has requests that honor the Lord. He builds the Lord's temple. But in the end, his heart's turned away. And what's the final book we're left with that he's written for us? It's the book of Ecclesiastes. It's this little 12-ish chapter book um, in the Old Testament. And it's essentially like his parting words. His famous last words. This is the last you hear from me. I want to go on record. Here's this. In the middle somewhere, he wrote Proverbs. He compiled it. Here are all the wise sayings I can find so that you can, you can do this well, son, so you can, you can have all these things. Here's some wisdom for you. But his final book says, here's some wisdom too. Here's some wisdom I learned from experience. Here's the wisdom I learned from bottoming out. The whole book of Ecclesiastes, for those that haven't read it, 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 it almost is like a book of mourning for me. A, a phrase that's repeated throughout this whole book is just everything is meaningless. <laughs> That's like his motto. It's, like a, it's almost like a song with a chorus. It's like every couple of verses, it's like everything is meaningless. <laughs> everything is meaningless under the sun. Nothing changes. Everything's chasing after the wind. <laughs> this is how he starts that book. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is another phrase he uses in some versions. Instead of meaningless, he sometimes uses this word vanity. <laughs> he uses it so much that I wanted to do a word study <laughs> without the lexicons. What was the actual word here in Hebrew? What was he saying? Um, and forgive me, I don't speak Hebrew on purpose. And it, the Hebrew word here is habel. And it's derivative from this word that means emptiness, temporary, unsatisfactory, or transitory. Another way that this is sometimes translated is a vapor or a breath. Lacking real substance, here one moment, gone the next. It's more than just emptiness. It's, it's also, it's emptiness, but this is all temporary. It's all fleeting. There's nothing to hold on to. It's a vapor. It's basically ethereal. You try to grab, you can't hold on to anything with this. When he says vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He's talking about life. <laughs> it's so hard to read this when you realize it's the same man that wrote Song of Solomon. It is so hard to read this when you see how he started and you see that this is the end of the line. 
this is where he ended up. It's so hard because God gave him so much. <laughs> and you know what? God gives us so much. <laughs> so many giftings, so many opportunities, so many things that so many other people don't have. Like if we're poor on the street, we're doing better than still like 60% of the world. You know what I'm saying? He's given us so much. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 8 through 11, it just talks a little bit more about his life and kind of what happened. It says, I, and this is Solomon speaking, it said, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep <laughs> from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and the striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This, this book reads like a confession. This book almost reads like a suicide note. It is so gnarly. It is so defeated. It is so bleak for so much of it. And I love how straightforward he is with this. He just said, you know, it's almost like, I think about it, it's like we think about Solomon in the Bible, the first thing we think about is like, oh, it's that wise guy. <laughs> the wisest man. And I love that one of his final acts on record is, I'm gonna write this book. You want wisdom? Here's another one. I want to tell you what I did. I want to tell you what I did with everything God gave me. He was a king. <laughs> he got all the provinces, all the glories of kings, all the treasure, all of the women, all of the entertainment, all of the power, the honor. You had people like the Queen of Sheba came just to see. They heard rumors of how wise this guy was. They honored him that much. They were, he was this symbol for the people. He had everything. Some of us are narrow focused when we think about where we'd go off the rails. This guy, he said there wasn't a single pleasure his heart said that he didn't have or go after. He got everything he wanted, except for contentment, <laughs> except for legacy. When I read this, one of the things I think is actually my point number two, which is also a question, which is where are you going for satisfaction? The verse that sticks out to me so much in this passage is that there was not a pleasure he saw that he didn't get. There wasn't a single thing that blipped in his heart that he didn't just chase after and get. Everything. And I love that it's the wisest man who at the end says, and it was all vanity. It was all empty. It was all fleeting. It was all nothing I could hold on to. It was striving after the wind. <laughs> it gained nothing. It gets a little worse. Ecclesiastes 2.17, it says straight up, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon really doesn't pull punches here, guys. <laughs> not with this letter. Not anywhere here. He says, I hated it because it was all vanity, because it was all meaningless, because it was all what is the point. And the redeeming thing in Ecclesiastes for me is in the last chapter, in chapter 12. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, 
he kind of comes into kind of a closing, a conclusion statement <laughs> for his little essay here. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and your years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This was his last line. <laughs> this is the last thing he wrote in the last book that got published in the Bible. This was his closing remarks. After 12, I read Ecclesiastes like three or four times this week, and that was gnarly. And I, then I had to read a gospel afterwards to kind of wash it off me because it was bleak, <laughs> because it was hard, because God was breaking my heart this week because I kept thinking about men and women I see like this. <laughs> you know? Do you guys see it too? I usually see it with people that are around middle age. There's just this emptiness. <laughs> it's just, you look at their face, and it's just vacuous. There's just, it's like the lights aren't fully on. It's just that they're just drifting. I look at them, and it's like they haven't thought a good thought in a long time. And God broke my heart with this because I think that one of the things that Solomon says in this book is that there's nothing new under the sun. The sun rises, falls, rises again. There's nothing new. He's like, you want to hear my wise advice? A lot of stuff stays the same. It was as if he knew that this book would be read thousands and thousands of years later. That people can hear a statement like that and say, before you start thinking that this is something steeped in history, steeped in the past, let me be clear, there is nothing new under the sun. Cultures may change, human nature does not. There is nothing new under the sun. He outlines in this book, he outlines all, like almost every avenue he went down in his life. He goes down all of the riches I had, how I stored all of this treasure. And he says, that was vanity. That was empty. Then he goes into entertainment. I had these great singers. I, had, I saw spectacles. I saw things like the world has never seen. I chased after those experiences. <laughs> I had all of it. Vanity. Power. Honor, influence, all of that. I was the greatest king that this country has seen. I expanded the borders. I made people respect this nation. This was vanity. He even got to a place where his toil, his daily work. Some of us, we find satisfaction. We become workaholics almost, you know, in our day jobs and what we do there. And he said, all my toil, everything that I got to see what my hands reap, that was vanity. He goes through all of it, relationships. Solomon was probably like, trust me, that's vanity. <laughs> all a thousand, at least 999, vanity, you know? <laughs> he emptied out all of these avenues. Ecclesiastes is a book where he goes through all of these different things that he sees in the heart of man, all of these pleasures that he himself enjoyed all of them. And he said, let me assure you, at the end of my long life, on the top of the heap, it was empty. I love that that one verse says, remember the creator in the years of your youth. You know why? This is his impartation. This is the thing he gives us as young people. This is why it's important. <laughs> he says, remember God. <laughs> remember him. <laughs> because I can tell you from personal experience, and I've outlined it in real, warty, painful detail how all of those things end up, end of the road, empty. He paid that price, and one of the reasons this is written is so that we don't have to if we pay attention. 
if we remember our creator, if we remember his closing remarks, is fear God, obey what he says. That's the duty of man. Another way to think about that is that's the purpose of man. <laughs> Let's understand that there's a God <laughs> to obey him, to do his works. That is the purpose. This man said, and I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I can think some days, it'd be good to be rich. I can think some days, <laughs> I can't think of a single reason why I couldn't handle the riches. And Solomon says, I'm the wisest dude in the world, and I was the richest. It's vanity. <laughs> That's not a slight. It doesn't mean rich equal bad. That's not how that works. It's that that is one of those things that can take our hearts <laughs> like any of these other things. <laughs> Maybe some of us are like, I don't need money. I can live on the street. It's like, oh yeah, but you throw your heart into every relationship in a way that is not guarding it, in a way that you give it the God spot. <laughs> Why do we think that's better? Oh, well, I'm loving them. That's not selfish, right? <laughs> we need an alignment check. <laughs> that's vanity. There's a God spot. There's that spot that only he's supposed to satisfy. He is supposed to be numero uno, top of the heap, Lord of our life. He's not our counselor. He's not the thing we pour, pull out every so often when we need advice. He's not the genie. He's not the, you're here in the good days, but when I don't want you, I'm going to put you aside. And I'm going to get those thousand wives. Like, he's not that guy. <laughs> he's like, I can be Lord or nothing at all. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean where is our heart? <laughs> Some of us, it is power or influence or our jobs, you know? Some of us are already on that track for workaholic. And again, it's not bad to steward the things he's given us. It's not bad to have those dreams because some of those he put inside of us. When is it bad? When it takes our hearts. I hear testimonies from my friends growing up where it's like, I love, yeah, I love my parents. They're great when I see them. I love my parents. They're great. I think I don't really know them. And they might be totally loving, but their God spot is their job. <laughs> and again, most of that stuff doesn't happen 180 degrees. It's just a couple degrees. It's a parent that says, this job puts food on my table for my family. I need to provide. And that's true. And that's good. But where does that start to eclipse the God spot? <laughs> where does that start to take root until it's just like, well, I can always work for that raise because then I can provide better for my family. We don't have to be at Soup Plantation. We can be at Hometown Buffet next week. You know, when does it become that? You know? But then already it's like, I didn't need that. <laughs> I could have TV dinners with family time. Again, you're off by a couple degrees, and before long, it's taking your heart. Any of these avenues. This is a man who had it all, and he says, it's vanity. I love that he says, in the days of your youth, remember this. It's, I almost see between the lines. It's just like, wow, there's still time. <laughs> Remember him. You realize that this entire book is this hopeless speech about how everything is meaningless. And the only hope we get is at the end. He says, Remember your God. Fear him. Obey him. It's the duty of man to put God in that God spot. I read between the lines and I see just such a broken dude. It's hard to read Song of Solomon and then read Ecclesiastes. <laughs> it is really hard. I see a broken dude. I wonder if he writes, remember your creator. I wonder if he thinks, I wish I would have. I wish I didn't have my heart turned away. I wish I could have been wholly devoted like my father was. 
I love that this book is also about wisdom. This book is also about giving something to that next generation. It's on the bummer side. It's about, I, I've squandered what my life could have been here. Please remember this. Please hear it. It's vanity. It's empty. It's a vapor. You hear all the time about elderly people that are dying, the people that have misplaced their life the people that they haven't heard from their sons in 30 years because they weren't they were absent for those first 20. <laughs> you hear them saying, it was just too short. <laughs> I wish I could do it again. <laughs> those are the people that it's, it's, it was vanity. It was a vapor. It was here and then it was gone. The thing is, we don't know when the span of our lives are. We don't know where they end. Remembering your youth, remember while there's still time. <laughs> just I thought about this man and it just broke my heart he was one of the greatest kings on paper that Israel had ever seen and inside the confession of his heart is the book of Ecclesiastes yeah I see all these great towers but I'm bankrupt inside it's vanity he passes his kingdom off to his son Rehoboam within days the kingdom is split. It's all done. Those great, the great everything, the kingdom's already split within days. I like before that even happens, Solomon looks and he says, yeah, this is all vanity. And so I look, when I was praying this week and I was like, well, what else can I tell them, you know? <laughs> I felt like he, God was just saying, look at the life of David, his father. I love that even when he's like kind of commissioning um, Solomon early on, He's just like, I give you all this stuff, and if you're obedient like my servant David was, I will extend the days of your life. I will give you even more. <laughs> Throughout his life, God keeps remembering David. And I love that Solomon, even praying to God, says, you honored my father David. <laughs> you know, David was your guy, God. <laughs> I love that it's God who says to David, this is a man after my own. I like that in the book of Acts, the writers say again, that was David, the man after God's own heart. <laughs> that takes into account all of the failings David had. <laughs> you know, the affair, the murder, the pride, all of these big wig, big deal sins. In New Testament, book of Acts, they still say that was the man after God's own heart. There's times where God says, that was the man who was obedient, who gave me his whole heart. In Ecclesiastes, when Solomon fell away, it just says he didn't give his heart wholly to God like his father David did. And David messed up. David was a broken dude. He did some jacked up stuff. In some ways, his sins, I thought, like, they look gnarlier sometimes on paper. But God said, no, he did what I told him to do. <laughs> no, that man, that was after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, the line Jesus is going to come from, it's going to be from David. <laughs> I love that sometimes they even called uh, they called Jesus son of David. <laughs> and I think Jesus wears that with pride. He's like, yeah, David was a faithful servant. <laughs> you know, that man. What is that man? What's the difference with that man? Because you know what? That guy had success too. That guy had the victory. That guy had the honor. That guy had the acclaim. That guy had so many of the same things. And that guy screwed up too. <laughs> a lot. A lot, a lot. But what is his heart? 
one of the books we get from David is the book of Psalms, who a lot of the Psalms are from King David. And so I just took some samples out of Psalm 27, verse 4. It says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Later on in that same psalm, it says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you. Oh, that was good. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. We get psalms like this. (laughs) That what is he saying? I just want to be where you are. I just want to be in your house. That is what I want. He says, God, you told me to seek after you. God, that's what I want to do. (laughs) Don't put me away from you. God, accept me. God, take me. God, I'm yours. God, I want it. I want you. I'm sold out for you. I want you. David's heart cry was just, I'm after you. (laughs) All the days of my life, I'm after you. And he blew it big time in bad ways. And as the king, as the one of the main leaders for God's people, when you screw up, sometimes that's magnified. You know what I mean? When you get risen up in leadership, that's a bigger deal. <laughs> he screwed up big, and then he was king, and that screw up is even gnarlier. And he did more than one. But his heart is, God, your face I see. God, please don't go away from me. I didn't write it down, but in Psalm 51, if you guys know, this is a psalm he wrote after his whole affair with Bathsheba, after he had a loyal man killed to try to hide the fact of the affair, after all of this junk, God kind of rebukes him through his prophet Nathan, and David gives this broken psalm of repentance. And one of the lines from it, it's so raw, and one of the lines is, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Give me a pure heart, give me clean hands, give me what I need, don't go away from me. It's not once, don't strip your kingdom from me. It's not once, don't strip that influence from me. It's not once, don't strip any of those vanities. It's God, just don't take your spirit away from me. Give me clean heart and pure hands. It says, renew in me an obedient spirit. His heart of repentance was, I just want to honor you. I just want to do this right. I love that the heart of David is never about these vanities of like, it's never, oh no, is he going to take the kingdom away from me? It's just, God, don't take yourself away from me. I'm going to read that psalm again. One thing have I asked of the Lord that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Later on, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. I wish I would have put Psalms 51 down. That was his just repentance. That's when he could have been like, oh God, don't throw this off too, don't do all of this. But all he says is, God, renew the right spirit in me and don't go away from me. Give me what I need to be near you again. I love that he sees... They're, they're under Levitical law still with all the animals and burnt sacrifices, all of this stuff. And the heart of David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, the sacrifices are not even what you're after. I don't think this was being taught at that time. The teaching at the time was you offer sacrifices on that altar. But the heart of David with the Holy Spirit, the heart that is after God's own is the heart that says, the sacrifice is not even what you're after. You're after my repentance. That's what you want, and I want you. I am repentant. 
It's not about the vanities, not for me. It's about your face. It's about being with you forever. That's what it is for me. And I love that even after all the failings, all the screw-ups, all the things that David did, God still says, that's the man after my heart. That's the man who did what I told him to. (laughs) I love that. And again, I just wonder, that phrase I've always loved, a man after God's own heart. And I do my thing, but what does that mean? Is it cryptic? Is it a symbol? What is it? What is that? And I think that there's layers to that. I think that there is more, but this week I was really just getting hit by the literal part of that. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? It means that you're after God's heart. (laughs) You are after it. (laughs) When you think everything can be taken away from you, when you're on the bad side of sin, the only thing, you know what it says? The guy that's after God's own heart, you know what he says? He just says, don't take your spirit from me. Give me clean hands. I just want you. (laughs) That's a man that's after it. I just love that. So I want to ask the question again. Point number three is, again, where is your heart? This was the same family line. This was the same, like the next generation. Saul's heart went all of these different places, fractured into a thousand different women. <laughs> where is your heart? God knows we're not perfect. <laughs> I don't think he's after our perfection. He's after our heart. Where is your heart? David's heart was, I want to be with you forever. I want to share a personal testimony that I'm not super proud of. I was in a college ministry about six or seven years ago. I was just learning really what community was. I was still kind of in spectator mode, which means I was in one of the back seats, um, kind of non-committal, checking it out. It was right after my freshman year of college where it was the first time in my life where God really shook me and got my attention. It was like, oh my gosh, all of this is real. This matters. This has to change me. But I still had to learn a lot. I still have to learn a lot. So I went to this college group over that summer. And it was, it was kind of a weird, like the sermon was about heaven, right? Which was great, but I never really heard a sermon about heaven before. Unfortunately, I don't remember much of that sermon except for this anecdote. The speaker goes up there, and he just says, I want you to think for a second about heaven. <laughs> I want you to think, what would heaven be like if it was everything you could think of that you wanted? <laughs> all your loved ones, <laughs> all, the, all the houses, all the joy. You can be riding unicorns upside down at a billion miles an hour not self-destruct, anything you can imagine, anything that makes you giddy, anything you want, everything you want for all time. But the caveat is you don't get Jesus. Is that still heaven you want? Do you want it? And why this rang true somewhere with me was that he said, I just want you to answer in your heart. We're not going to raise our hands. I don't expect you to share this answer. I just want you to answer in your heart. Strip away the pretense. Strip away, oh, if I said this, really? People would judge me. People would all this. He just said, no, just answer with you. Would you want it? And at this time, it wasn't even a question for me. It was like, of course. Right? Guys? (laughs) Of course I would. I get the mansion, 
all of my homies, our backyards are joined so we can have like the world's most epic pool party every day for eternity. You can have an Xbox the size of California. It was just glory, you know? I ride my chariot of pandas around on those streets of gold just because I can. Oh, of course I want it. For all time, of course I want it. And, you know, I left that meeting, and it was like, whatever. I didn't even feel bad about it. I was like, of course. You'd be stupid not to want that. It's everything you could want. Why would you, why would you not want that? And I don't remember a lot from this college group, and I went for a couple more months. But a year later, you know, I started to spend more time with God one-on-one. I started to really start to make community, start to serve, started to really start to get to know Jesus, you know? <laughs> I was supposed to know him my whole life. I did. I was starting to get to know him, and I kept thinking about my answer. Anytime someone would bring up heaven, I would flash back to that Xbox the size of California. But it wasn't as funny. It wasn't as, of course. It was just like, wow. That seems kind of silly. But, you know, I I probably still want it, honestly. I didn't tell people that. (laughs) But in my heart, that was it. Yeah, I I, I think I'd still want it. Another year goes by, I get to know Jesus a little bit more, and suddenly I'm just like, I don't know if I want it. Because you know what happened between that second and third year? My life hit the fan, man. (laughs) The life I built for myself burned to the ground, and from the ashes, I had to find something else. And you know what I had in that time? I had Jesus. And so when I thought about that again, I actually cried a little bit, because I'm just like, Xboxes break. (laughs) You know, mansions crack. And I know when everything hit the fan, God was there for me. And it wasn't like he talked to me every night. It wasn't like that. It was just when things really hit the fan and I was screaming somewhere, he was there with me. He wasn't telling me to shut up. He was just holding me, you know. I didn't feel it, but I know he's with me. It would be years until I really stopped and thought about that question. Would we still want that heaven? It'd be years before I finally put it together that a heaven without Jesus, a separation from God is hell itself. It's not like this heaven is lesser. It's that it's hell. Life without God is hell. That is what hell, the worst part of hell isn't the weeping, gnashing of teeth, the burning. It isn't, the worst part about hell is that there's no God there. There's no happy thought. There's no comforter. There's no the heaven I had wasn't heaven, it was hell. And that shook me a lot. And it changed how I looked at all of that stuff because it's like, that was the heaven I made for me. It was hell. And we do that. And it breaks my heart because Solomon says that. I made a hell for myself on earth. I used everything I was given. I denied myself no pleasure. Everything I wanted was right there. And it's vanity. It's just nothing. Where are our hearts? (laughs) I was thinking too, again, going back to that plane analogy. You set the course and you go. You make it to that destination. So the question I ask myself, the question I want to ask you guys, I don't think I wrote it down, but it's just, what are we aiming for? Where is that path in front of us? We have self-control. It makes me, we make those decisions. Where are we setting that path? Oh, well, there's this girl I kind of like, but 
you know, maybe it's not the one, but maybe that's still okay because I'm kind of lonely. <laughs> Where are you setting yourself up for? Well, I really don't think that I'm supposed to be at this job, but uh, it, I, I earned twice as much from this place I felt like I was supposed to be. Where are you aiming? Where is it? I want the influence. I want the power. And we bankrupt ourselves. It's not that the influence is bad. It's not that the power is bad. It's not that relationships are bad. It's not that money is bad. It's that if that takes our heart, if that takes the God spot, we're off course. Because our hearts are following all of these different things and we're not following God. (laughs) So where are our hearts? (laughs) I was thinking about a phrase I could use to just think about this. It's that our... (laughs) Our direction determines our destination. The path we place our feet on, the direction we're looking, the steps we're taking toward it, that's going to determine where we end up. So where are we going? I thought about all of this this week. I thought about that heaven story. I thought about how much God has changed my life. Like, you know, look, guys, I'm still getting to know Jesus. (laughs) I'm still really not perfect. I'm still learning how to repent, you know. But I started to really think about that this week and how much my definition of what my heaven looks like means. Now it's almost inverted. It's like, I don't care if there's anything else but you. (laughs) That's, That's heaven to me. That's it. I thought about this, and I thought about all those seasons that I felt like I was in the dark somewhere, that I felt alone, that I felt outside, that I felt low, that I felt like I was so far from all the things in my heart, from all the things I wanted, from all of my dreams and all of my things. I thought about all of that time, and it made me, it just something became crystal clear. It's just that Jesus is all I have. (laughs) And that's the best thing in my whole life. (laughs) That's not a depressing statement. That's a statement of freedom, is that Jesus is all I have. I think somewhere in the Bible, it's just, who, who do I have in heaven but you? <laughs> You're it. You're the jackpot. You're the whole thing. And so I just start praying, like, Jesus, what do you have to say? <laughs> what do you have to say about this subject, about not wasting my life, about not squandering it, about not throwing my hearts into things that are going to end me all jacked up or places I don't want to go? And I found Matthew 16, 25, and 26. It says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus captures everything that Solomon is talking about in Ecclesiastes. (laughs) What do you get if you gain the world and lose your soul? You get vanity. Get the vapor, you get the wind that you try to chase after and never quite get. And I love, he says, if you're gonna, one translation says, if you love this life, if you hold on to this life, if you would try to save this life, you're gonna lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, if you throw it all down, if you say that that is vanity by itself without you, you're gonna find it. (laughs) And that's the life that Jesus says, that's the life I promise you with me. That's the abundant life. It's not about a dollar sign, although it can include it. It's not about relationships with others, although it can include it. It's not about the power, the influence, the anything. It can include it. But you only know that if you lose your life and you take up his. You only know that if you say, I choose you. 
I burn it all down. The heaven I can make on earth for myself is nothing outside of you. You're my slice of heaven on here on the earth. You're it. You're all of it. I'll tell you, in my life, every, every single time I've given Jesus my life, every single time I'm like, this decision is yours. I'm choosing you here. This is where I, you say I'm going, and it's opposite to my will. I submit, and you take it, God. I have never once regretted it. The vanities, I almost regret it every time. Amazon, do I need this? Yeah, I need that. By the time it arrives, it's like, I didn't need that. This is empty. This is as empty as my credit card. Oh, no. We do this all the time by degrees. What's empty? What's fulfilling? Our culture says, no, the money, the power, the relationships, the profile, yeah, that's success. That's it. Try to look like this. Try to be like this. Go after this. And these people medicate themselves to death. These guys, they just spiral themselves into holes. (laughs) And you have the people that said, I give it all up and this is Jesus. And not a single person regrets that. (laughs) Not when it's real for them. Not when you really know this God. <laughs> not when it's actually about the relationships. It's not about the facts of Christianity. It's not about Christian history. It's not about a social clique. It's not about the ways that they picketed here or done horrible things over here or done great things. It's not about any of that. It's about that relationship with Christ. Those are the people that say, I have no regrets. <laughs> I counted the cost. He is not vanity. <laughs> he is fullness of joy. He is life. He is freedom. He's my everything. Who have I in heaven but you? Right now, he is interceding on our behalf. As if to say, I'm always looking out for you. Jesus said when he left them on earth, he said, I'm preparing a place for you. You better believe that. (laughs) I felt like this was an important message of don't waste our lives. Because most of us are so young. We might not feel like it. I don't have the time. But we are. Granted, I could die tomorrow, but whatever. (laughs) We can live a hundred years, you know? From all we can see, we're still on the front nine. We're still young. There's still time to remember the creator of our youth. It matters. It really matters. Because this is the point where if we're off by a degree, there's still time for course correction. (laughs) There's things that can blow us off course, but you can always course correct. It's not too late. But the further we get on this path, the greater the distance back is sometimes the harder it is to dig out of the hole. I mean, God still accepts us. Eventually, we'll get back to the destination. But sometimes we delay ourselves so much, or sometimes we miss out on things we were supposed to hit along the way. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. (laughs) While there's still time. (laughs) Start to build towards the things that are not vanity. Check your heart. It's not a one-time deal. I hope we think about this every day, every couple days, is where's my heart? How do I know where my heart is? Where's my mind dwelling on? (laughs) What do all my actions suggest? Where do my finances go? Who is really being, what does this relationship look like? Who's really honored here? Do I work healthily? Do I rest healthily? Where is my heart today? The man after God's own heart, the woman after God's own heart, is just that quality of he doesn't want our perfection. He doesn't want the sacrifices. (laughs) He wants repentance. I told this to, I think, John a couple weeks ago, looking at the life of David, my favorite part of him. And I look at, like, all these things about him, and there's a lot of things to look up to. My favorite part of David, it's the characteristic that I would want to emulate more than anything else he has, 
It's just no matter what happens, no matter what season of life he's in, no matter what's been thrown at him, no matter what he's done or hasn't done, the defining characteristic I see all throughout the life of David is he just can't stop clinging to God. Even when he's messed up, he just says, wait, 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 don't go away from me. You're bringing me everything I need to keep holding on. I want to be with you. As a leader, as a man of God, as just a human being, that is the one characteristic I hope we all have. It's just, I just want you. I can't let go. <laughs> I might be 10 degrees of jacked up, but I can't let go of you because you're all I have. You're the best thing I have. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to kind of start to come to a close here. We're going to have to go ahead and invite Danielle up to the keys. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry if this was heavy. I didn't think it'd be this heavy. But I guess I started with everything that's meaningless. So, you know. Anyway, guys. Um, yeah, we're almost done. I just wanted to create a space because I really believe that one of the reasons God gave me this word to share with you guys is just so we could have a time of reflection and evaluation, reevaluation, self-evaluation, a time where we can start to ask ourselves those questions. Where is my heart? Where am I going for satisfaction? Again, where is my heart? What kind of heaven do I look at? <laughs> Which one matters more? Let's all just like think about that for a second. I don't know if we can lower the lights at all, just so it's not as. Let's all look around. Oh, maybe the other way. <laughs> By his light, all is revealed. Okay, all right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> yeah. This is really just a space for you and God. It's <laughs> to open up those lines of communication. <laughs> Just with yourself, you have a moment where everything is on hold, and in this moment, you can just think, where is my heart? What am I aiming at? What path are my feet on? What do you mean to me? We've lived in our culture all of our lives. <laughs> For most of us in a culture that says this is what success means. This is what it means to have it all. This is what you should aim for. Part of the living the Christian life in America today is deprogramming. <laughs> we see so much value and worth and possessions or the people around us, like our entourage, not the real relationships. Maybe we didn't have to be that old to realize that some of these things are still empty. <laughs> Maybe along the journey, we already see that it's empty. We already feel that it's empty. We feel like we've made the next bracket and we still feel empty. <laughs> we never feel like we've made it. We never feel like we're good enough. Maybe some of us look at Jesus and just think, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe some of us just look at Jesus and we just think about all the things we've heard about him. 
and not about who he actually is. Maybe we've been around and we do believe that Jesus can do a lot, but maybe we'll, I don't know for me, like, sometimes I think that, like, I'll reach the end of him. I'll invest my life into him, and then I'll be left wanting. But that's never how it works. Not when we dive in. We can never plumb the depths of our God all the way. He is limitless. All the other stuff is just vanity. So many things that are not bad to want, they're not bad on their own, but they're bad if they take that spot. They're bad if they push out that God spot. life she made for herself. He offers her living water and the characteristic of it is that he'll never be thirsty again. He's telling them about himself. With me, you'll never want for anything else. You'll never want for more. You'll get more. You can get all that stuff, but outside of me, it's going to be empty. It's going to be vanity with me, you can actually enjoy the blessings I give you. With me, you're not going to run dry. <laughs> the last thing I was thinking of this week is this parable that Jesus says. He's like, you know what the kingdom of God is like? You know what this whole Christianity thing is? Do you know what it really means to follow me? You know what this actually looks like? It's like a man who's walking through a field and finds a treasure. He sees the treasure, he sees the worth, and he immediately goes and sells everything he has so he can buy the field to get that treasure. He says, that's what it's like. That when we find Jesus, not what our culture has made him, but the real thing, we can give everything, we can sell everything, we can burn the old life to the ground if we gain everything that that is, if we could just know the worth, if we could just know his worth. God, I pray that you just open the hearts of your people tonight, God, so they can hear you. Tell them what you're worth. Tell them how much they're worth. Sometimes we're just off by degrees. Sometimes it's not bad yet, but what have we done we haven't turned our heart away, but we filled it up with so much stuff that we leave little room for what really matters. Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you that you're just good. I want to do a couple things really quick here, uh, a couple opportunities for us. Um, the first one, and I just, I, I would love to just throw this out here tonight. If it doesn't hit, that's fine. But I can't talk about stuff like this and not try. <laughs> I want to create a space for anyone, for anyone who hasn't <laughs> jumped on board, for anyone who hasn't ever given their life to Christ, <laughs> who haven't, hasn't ever said, I'm done with all the vanity, I'm, better, I'm done with all the stuff that slips through my hands, and I want you. 
I want everything you promised. I want it. If you've never done that, if we can just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've done that, can you just raise your hand? (laughs) There's a God who just, (laughs) there's a God that just wants us. There's a God who looked down at his creation at everything he made with love and said, they are on a path that leads to death and destruction. (laughs) And we serve a God who said, I will throw myself in front of them. I will take life, I will take death, I will take life again, all for them, so that they don't have to ever live without me. There was a creator God who was not satisfied without being more in our lives, without having a way to be with us. That's all I'm inviting you to. I'm inviting you to the life that just says, I want that. (laughs) I want to be a part of that. I want to know my worth. I want to know who he really is. I just want to invite you guys again anyone's never done that, ever, go ahead and just raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So there's a second thing I want to do. (laughs) I'm almost as excited for this one. (laughs) Pretty close, actually. It's for the group of you that just (laughs) say I might need a little bit of course correction. (laughs) I might need to re-up my side of this relationship. I might need to, I might need to actually change where my heart's at. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste any more of my life. We're young, but we're not that young. In a couple years, we'll be (laughs) young-ish. been middle-aged, been seasoned, (laughs) been just ancient, (laughs) and it'll be gone in a flash, guys. So I just want to invite you guys, anyone who just says, I'm ready for a recommitment, (laughs) I'm ready for him to take the God spot back, I'm ready for a course correction, I'm ready for that to matter to me again. I'm sick of vanity, I'm sick of all these things that slip right through my hands, I'm sick of the way I just always feel empty. I want a thing where I can never run dry. I want a thing that's just real, something I can hold on to. The opposite of vanity, the opposite of that vapor where we just try to grab it and we can't hold on. The opposite is Jesus that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you till the end of the age. (laughs) It's the God that just says, remain in me. (laughs) Another way I look at that is just stay with me. (laughs) That's all he wants. He just says, stay with me. The destination is so much better over here. The plot, the course, the path is so much better over here. Just trust me. If that's you tonight, (laughs) I want you guys to go ahead and just raise your hands. I love that. You guys are the men and women that just says, it's not that I don't want any of those things. I just don't want them to have me. I don't want to give my God spot away. I don't want to pour myself only into just one relationship with some person and watch it crumble. (laughs) 
I don't want to pour myself into a job. I don't want to pour myself into anything where it's just power or the semblance of power, not without you. <laughs> I want you. My heaven is no longer a heaven that is populated by all these things that my heart desires, not if you're not in it. <laughs> my heart is everything. My heart is everywhere. Just It's what you are. It's where you are. I want it. <laughs> I want to seek your face. I want to know your heart. I want it. If that's you, I just want to call you again. Just raise your hand. Awesome. That's so great, guys. <laughs> that's so great. If you were in either of these groups, I just want everyone to pray this, but if you were in either of these groups, just pray along. Just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being more than enough for me. Thank you for being the Lord I can hold on to. Thank you for being the Lord that when I say, God, please purify my heart, please give me clean hands, you're the God that can actually do it. You don't have to repeat that part, it was long. But in your hearts, know what I'm talking about. <laughs> God, just fill your people up tonight. Fill them to overflow with that living water, God. Give them everything that you promised them. There's not a junior Holy Spirit. When he says, I'm giving you an abundant life, he doesn't then hand you a half-deflated life. <laughs> Vanity is just a breath, just a vapor, but the only breath that God gives us is the breath of life, <laughs> his Holy Spirit. So we just ask that your Holy Spirit just fall on them, God. We thank you, Lord. We ask that you correct our paths, that you give our feet places to step, God, that you course correct, God. Give us hearts that are humble enough to yield to your direction. That's part of it, too. We're asking God to help us change. If he shows us what that means and we don't ignore it, <laughs> We've already kicked him out of the God spot. It's a process. We're all not perfect. <laughs> but what are we aimed at? Thank you, God, for open eyes and open ears to hear what you're doing. Yeah. I ask that you just bless your people tonight. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so, yeah, we're just going to soak here for one more second, and then Pastor Andrew's going to go ahead and pray with us. <laughs> So good. Can we just all stand together before we before we go tonight and just thank Dom for sharing his heart tonight? Come on.